Christmas cakes at work for the farm shop. Barrett in Doncaster, by the way, you show some... So here we are back again with All Fruits Ripe. How's it going, Ads? Yeah, all good. All I just good. landed in the country about six hours ago, so I'm feeling pretty tired. Yeah, I'm feeling all right. I've had a multitasking day of doing things, but yeah, yeah all good. And we're all set up and ready to roll. Yeah, Clementine is set up in a little bit of a different setup this yeah. week. And then, of course, in the studio is Laura Miller. Hello. How's it going, Laura? Really good, thanks. Yeah, nice. Yeah. How was it getting down? It was great. It yeah. was really easy. Nice. Should we play the first track, maybe? Yeah. Let's, it's always so, good to start with a bit of music. Yeah. So we've got Bob Andy and Marsha Griffith. Griffith? Is, how do you, I don't know. I've never known how you pronounce that. Griffiths? Griffiths. It's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, the track's Young, Gifted and Black. That's the name of the album also. So why did you choose this track then, Laura? I don't know. It's like, even though I'm white and not so young and of gifted of, of questionable we're gifted. gifts we're all gifted <laughs> um i think because i've always been really acutely aware of i guess call it racial justice issues right. so when i was a kid growing up this was a song that was around not necessarily on like major playlists but it was one that i'd heard around yeah and it just it always made me really happy to hear that there was a kind of like self-belief amongst black people that you know they had a right to be here yeah. that so I think it's just always been something where like I, I champion the underdog that's kind of what I feel like I'm born to do I don't want black people to be underdogs at all ever and the fact that there's just this consciousness around that this is and not just even an angry consciousness also just a very playful light easy we're just comfortable with ourselves. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It just, it's a song that kind of made me happy because I guess as a young person, I was always just like, if I was black, I'd be really angry. It's just nice to see like a range of emotion yeah. in expressing identity. I like the fact that you also chose this particular one because this is obviously the one that, the original, this yeah. was the one that was written. Yeah. And I think a lot more people are more aware of the, the, the versions and the covers yeah, 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 and yeah. the remixes yeah. of yeah. this track. And yeah. so... Obviously, the I think it was Aretha Franklin did the yeah, yeah. really sort of like the one that skyrocketed and did yeah. really well. Yeah. So yeah, it's really nice to see some of the original Jamaican sound system culture. Yeah. Inspiring you. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I was really like stoked to see that one come through. <laughs> Good. Thank you.
such a good tune. Yeah, great track. Great choice. Thank you. And Laura, you were just saying that when you were younger, you lived in Manchester. Yeah. Of which you have none of that accent left. Absolutely none. <laughs> but it was your neighbours that... Yeah, introduced when, me to it. So yeah. they, they were from Jamaica, had amazing music all the time. Yeah. And this was just one of those things that I kept on hearing. And yeah. when I was old enough to buy my own record, this was one of my first. And just was like... Do you still have it? I don't have any of my vinyl. Oh, no. No, I'm one of those people who didn't realise that... The it, value of it. Yeah. 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 I don't have a deck. I don't have vinyl. Oh, no. I have lots of regrets. Well, <laughs> this is why we're doing what we're doing, okay. is because you get to hear it on vinyl again. I know. Does it bring back memories? Yeah, no, it does. It just, you know, it just has a very different kind of... Well, for hearing it always brings back memories anyway, but also yeah. just hearing it on vinyl, it's been... I don't want to say how many decades, but at least two decades since I last heard it on vinyl. Yeah. Well, yeah, two, coming up to three. And so, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've had it on a CD, I've had it on a tape, I've now got it on MP3. You've had it on all media. Yeah, I've always <laughs> had it, but yeah. Well, there you go. It's, it's nice, awesome, it's awesome released awesome on tune. Trojan Records, 1970. And the, f the album cover's beautiful, like they've got the most incredible afros. So, Laura, Recently, you've moved on from working with Synchronicity Earth, which is obviously how we know each other. Yeah. What's happening now? What's what are you? What are your sort of visions? Yeah, I've got a few actually. So, as I said, I've always had like a very keen sense of social and environmental justice, which is what led me to Synchronicity Earth in the first place. I've I've started to see that actually some of the things that I really want to do, I can't do from within an organisation necessarily that easily. You know, organisations have all sorts of constraints in terms of you know freedom to follow your own instincts and i think synchronicity earth is an amazing organization that has given me Hang on, huge... we haven't explained to our listeners oh, sorry. who synchronicity earth are so so quick, quick quickly yeah just a quick little shell. brainchild of two two people adam and jessica sweden you're going to be speaking to jessica yeah. at some point very much the idea is there's not enough attention on environmental destruction or enough funding to prevent it synchronicity earth was born as a kind of way of addressing that problem we have focused primarily i would say apart from the work that we've done with you on actually trying to understand what the problems are and also what the solutions might be on the ground where there's environmental destruction happening and the work that we've done with you has been much more about trying to communicate that yeah. there's a problem in the first place and obviously you're such a good voice and amplifier of that message that yeah. it's just been you know such a treat to do that work we've had like you know some really amazing so you know, I'm leaving Synchronicity Earth well. We've had some amazing... We've done some amazing work. It's been an amazing experience. But I guess I want to create something right. that is more of more of me right. and more of the things that I still feel haven't necessarily been done enough. I think Synchronicity Earth is going in a great direction and doesn't actually need me right. in the way that it once did. And so, therefore, I'm free to do some of this stuff. So I've got a few projects, now to answer your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> a, f a few projects... Um, in the, in the pipeline, um, one is actually an urban gardening, urban farming project, which is very community-based. And the idea with that is to kind of really mix social and environmental action and get people involved. So it's rather than trying to message anything at this point, yeah. it's just much, much more about getting people involved from all different backgrounds of all different income levels, etc., in creating urban gardens, both wildlife and produce, that can bring people together, can give people food, can also sell food for social 
benefits. So the benefit that I'm envisaging is really to do with refugees and asylum seekers, which is an issue I'm also very passionate about, funding both support work that's already happening within the community to which I belong, but also advocacy. But I also want to you know, bring in the emotion, the, sorry, emotional, the environmental element more strongly. So it's also a question that I have really about where we're going with food as a society. So you guys are both very passionate vegans, I know that. <laughs> and we can talk about that because I'd be really interested in kind of what's turned you both onto being vegan. Yeah. Most people don't think about food. Their relationship with food's kind of really just what's available, you know, and what's available is yeah, hazardous, both environmentally and socially. And you know, there's more and more evidence of that. And can we create our own food futures? What kind of future do we want for ourselves, for our planet? food i think food's a medium that like basically if you eat you're in like you can have the conversation about everything if you have a conversation about food so that's yeah yeah i think it's really important that those projects sound really 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 good yeah so that's one and then something that um has been really high on my radar ever since really creating synchronicity earth was a lot of the people that synchronicity earth works with are environmental defenders they're usually kind of land and environmental defenders. So these are people around the world that are facing huge land grabs um, because of basically... What do you mean by land grab? Yeah, good question. Um, So they could have been living in a forest or along a river for generations and suddenly there's a kind of corporate interest in either the land, the water, what's underneath it. Right. For maybe agribusiness. It's interesting you mention that because I'll be off to the Amazon in two weeks and I'm going to be working wow. with the community where they are doing it. There's that exact problem happening. Yeah. I think it's, it could be Shell or it could be Esso. I've forgotten, but one of the oil industries is trying to take their land to be able to extract the, the fossil fuels. And ironically, to get to their community, you have to use a crossing and that crossing is funded by that oil industry but I've forgotten which one it is now I have to report back when I get back <laughs> you will yeah. but actually that irony is is kind of no accident because actually most of the places that are being destroyed now are the most remote on earth because obviously we've destroyed much else and to build the infrastructure to actually exploit those areas costs money and the only people who are going to really spend that money are the people who've got development interests right of course so yeah. so yeah I think so one of the things that has struck me so I used to get kept awake by this question a bit and and I still don't know the answer to the question, which is what's compelling me now. But how do you keep people who are defending land and communities safe? And there's been some really horrible sort of evidence over the last few years that environmental defenders are the most threatened, so they're the most frequently killed of all human rights yeah, defenders. That. And that's only of the ones that are known. Right. So you, then you take it to the places that are even more remote, even less accessible... Do you know anyone that has been a victim of? Personally, no. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really hope I never do. Yeah. But, of, of course, there are famous people who are now famous because yeah, yeah, of yeah. having been a victim, which mm. is a shame they weren't famous before. Of course. Um, and so one of the questions is, how do you bring safe visibility to environmental defenders? Like, the kind of visibility that will actually mean that they are safe, they are protected, they are recognised... They are possibly more successful. And so that's a question that's troubling me that I want to work on with people. So this is a call out to anybody who's listening who wants to work on this <laughs> with me. I just, it really worries. I mean, you know, there'll always be people who are wanting to do this work as in wanting to defend their land. But there's a kind of just a question about how unscrupulous a lot of the businesses are these days. Right. And how can that change? And 
I'll leave that question to NGOs who can deal with the legality issues and the, you know, but it's just like, how do you actually still strengthen the people on the ground? And coming back to food, I just have this kind of question about how do we educate ourselves about food that actually we don't need? And I don't really want to make a big enemy of like agribusiness, but it sounds like I probably do in some ways. Um, but we, we don't actually need the kind of big scale industrial models that have been proliferating for the last few decades yeah. to feed us. There are so many hazards. How do we educate ourselves about our choices? And so again, wanting to work with people on the food, the food thing. And I think once you get through this discussion about what we're putting on our plate, what we're growing ourselves, maybe we shift ourselves from consumers to makers. You know, maybe a lot of other things change. So that's kind of what I'm interested in now. So I was talking, um, how, where, yeah, so in Los Angeles, I was talking with my Airbnb host and he was talking to me about foraging. He, he's not doing it yet, but it's something that he's particularly interested in. He said that he was listening to a podcast, which I'm having my notes to check out and I haven't heard it yet. But this guy was interviewing somebody who was a forager and the, the conversation was, is it sustainable to forage? And this guy's big smile on his face apparently and was like, yeah, of course it is. There's so much food out there. And the more that people forage, then what that happens is that you then need to farm less land, which means that that farmed land turns back into woodlands and wildlife. And then there's more food for the foragers to continue foraging. And um, it's almost like insane that we've been bred into this like society that believes that anything that comes from anywhere other than the supermarket is A, not clean or not right or dirty or that if we were to then go into the woods and then take, that there wouldn't be enough for everyone to do the same. Mm. Which, uh, but possibly, I guess, possibly on our, our current population levels, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be possible for there to be wide-scale foraging. But I take your point that the most exciting thing, you know, that one can do is actually just go out and pluck yeah. a blackberry or you know whatever it happens to be. Yeah. And there's so much else. I mean, yeah, I grew up um, going mushroom hunting, and like English people will not pick mushrooms, but they will pick the blackberries yeah. until the cows come home. Yeah. It's they are, it's, it's, it's so funny. yeah. No, it's really interesting. And elderberries. No one picks yeah. the elderberries. I know. No one picks the nettles or the elderflowers yeah. or the list goes on and on yeah. and on of what yeah. there is. Both of those projects sound amazing. The first project you're saying, you know, working with communities and urbanising, basically, yeah, in urban areas, growing food and creating more wildlife, mm. in effect. Are you including anything like permaculture kind of ethics in yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I, d I mean, I, I can't imagine. So I, I read something recently because I've been thinking about like the how, the, pra the really practical, like how, what can be grown. I'll obviously take lots of advice from people who grow. I only am minimally successful at growing myself, so I can learn a lot as I'm doing this as well. But really what you could do really wrong with urban farming is actually increase dependence on, you know, all the kind of fossil fuel and other types of kind of chemical destructive chemicals etc like you could do it totally the wrong way and actually just augment the problem um, of environmental degradation or you could do it the right way which probably means you get really shonky looking fruit and vegetables but it's really tasty and the way know, they're supposed to look yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but they're really tasty and they're variable you know quality and you know some years you have good crops some years you have bad but i think that's the way that we want to go so it, we're not kind of thinking oh this is now a product market that we're trying to join 
it's much more the process rather than the outcome but if if there's a good outcome then you know the benefit of that will be the kind of the I guess the funds to do really important work with people who are very much excluded so yeah yeah yeah, there's a you know there's a bit of a tug towards profitability but I think we want to be really careful yeah I think it's great I think you're going to educate a lot of people along along the way you know yeah Yeah. you know if you go through that process especially if people haven't grown vegetables or fruits or you know even done any gardening really because a lot of people don't in London a lot of people live in high-rise flats and areas where they haven't got a garden or but what's amazing so um, I mean this is this is something that's come out of um work that's happened in other countries you know so people living in urban poverty around the world and have no access to decent food but they get shown how you can build you can actually grow crops on even your windowsill or Mm -hmm. you know so just where just what is possible once you actually get given some soil some seeds some knowledge yeah there's an interesting (laughs) book by the guy one one of the guys who coined the term permaculture david holmgren he's releasing a book that's all about working with where you're at and how you can work you know in inner city and i'll try and remember the name before the end of the podcast but it's on a similar tip to what you're talking about i'll definitely check it out i need all the information i can get yeah 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 Yeah. and the second project you said you know it sounds brilliant in terms of uh trying to support people who are actually fighting for what is theirs in effect yeah wanting to take it i guess it's also just in some ways not even Support is probably too strong a word because, you know, there's such uh, I know this is probably going to sound really weird, but the value for me is partly through supporting, but also partly because I want them to win. You know, so I, I, I kind of feel like the learning that I can do about what's working in some places that can be carried over to other places, the learning I can do from seeing where networks are really thriving, you know, for me, like. But yeah, support makes it sound like I'm just I'm just trying to do something nice, but actually, it's fairly selfish in the sense that I really, I, you know, I want a good outcome and I want to learn a lot and share that knowledge and yeah, and I'm fairly determined. <laughs> <laughs> that you definitely are. Yeah. <laughs> Should we spin the next track? Yeah. What so, is this? Is yeah, this is yours, right? Yeah, I chose Fat Freddy's Drop because they're just legendary, and it's off. I don't actually know what they called this album. Oh, the Drop. Did they call it that? Yeah, they must have. But anyway, the, the track is Blackbird, and I chose it because... I think the album's called Blackbird, you know? Oh, is the whole album called yeah, Blackbird? Yeah, I think that's their label, the drop. Yeah, it's on the side. Oh, yeah. There you go. But yeah, so I chose the track because, A, the album cover is wicked. I love the painting on it. And just out of irony, crows are definitely... Well, I guess a blackbird is what we see a crow as. Um, they're definitely not endangered. <laughs> so I thought let's uh let's yeah, play there's a lot track. of them yeah especially on the way here going through Sainsbury's they're also really <laughs> clever in McDonald's right yeah they yeah, own that they bit. own that car park yeah. we're talking about a car park in Sydenham yeah. where it seems like the crows are like holding fort in McDonald's yeah they've took over <laughs> <laughs> I wish they'd just shut them down though <laughs> yeah well they they definitely uh leave their mark on um McDonald's which is which is cool. Poetic justice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's play the tune. Mm-hmm. 
great track, Louis. One of my personal favourites on that album as well. Released in 2013. Yeah, it's such a good tune. Yeah, people... Such a good... The whole album's amazing. People don't know. They're a band based in New Zealand. Been going for quite a long time. I mean, they've got quite a few albums out. I think they've got five. Yeah, definitely worth checking them all out. Some of their early stuff is great. If you ever get a chance to see them live as well. Ooh, such a good band live. So, Laura, if we turned you on to Fat Freddy's Drop... <laughs> you have. <laughs> no, they're you are, have. they're awesome. Definitely recommend checking more out of their tunes. We we should talk about what we were talking about while the tune was playing yeah. as well. Um you asked me why and how and kind of when I became vegan and long story cut short, a lot of it is based around the industry, the food industry, and we touched on the fact that it's not just, you know, meat that is the issue in the food industry it's also it's the whole food industry but you know we started saying that we can only do our best and i think that relates to a lot of different things uh, not just food but sort of your ethics in life i think that one of the the interesting things are that once you address an issue it's like i, I keep on using this expression but it's like the rabbit warren and so once you once you find one thing that is frustrating you about something you realize that tied into that is several other bits and pieces. So by wanting to not consume meat anymore, it made me reevaluate other industries within the food, like the dairies and so on. And then I started, I mean, and I think that in, in all honesty, the original reason for leaving meat was because I didn't like the idea of a rotting carcass in my stomach. <laughs> but then when I actually started to really evaluate it and this is years later and especially with doing my work I started to realize that actually by eating something that's reared in a rainforest then actually it's not just you're not essentially when you're eating your beef burgers you're not really eating just beef you're eating like a part of the rainforest like granted not mm. all beef burgers are coming from the rainforest mm. and that is a very generalized opinion but mm. it, you can take it there and then once you start to evaluate what you're putting into your stomach like you were saying like then you realize that something else you can put in your stomach becomes medicine. And and that for me is fascinating. And so then you you want clean medicine. So what what vegetables am I going to consume? Am I going to consume a vegetable which has come from um, Tesco's and looks pretty rank? Or am I going to go a bit further and look for a farmer's market or something that looks better? Um, and looks are not always the best. That can be deceiving also. Do you take it one step further and then do you start growing your own food? And that touches into exactly what we were talking mm. with you about before we played the Blackbird track. Mm. And yeah, it's all it's all interlinked. That's what we were saying as well, just how the pharmaceutical industry, the food industry, even going down to water, you know, everything is about it's not about quality, it's about quantity, mm. it's about profit margins. It's not about how do we heal ourselves with food and and the different vitamins and minerals that come along with that. The knowledge is not there. You know, it's been it's kind of been eradicated and not not in all senses, but it's definitely not readily available as the information on you know through advertisements and all these different things of what you should be eating and what social norms and and all these different things. You know, like you were saying, how it's it's not a meal unless there's meat mm. in the meal. Mm. And I was brought up like that. That's that's how, you know, every every meal, well, pretty much every meal would have some sort of meat, fish or 
or mate yeah mm. i think that a lot of society uh, are, are in that mindset unfortunately i think it's also i mean so a course that i used to teach when i was a lecturer was about food culture well it's actually about culture generally i guess but i went into quite deep into food there and just you know we all have a food culture like if we go back in our you know parents and family histories we've all got food cultures and there are within those you know there are things that we've acquired you know historically acquired because it's been maybe imposed upon us or it's been ideologically a prevalent belief but you know, I mean, there are some, you know, I mean, things that, you know, strike me as being really interesting, like Jamaican food culture, you know, a woman who is thin is considered to be mean, for example, and partly it's because she's starving herself, but maybe because she's got a mean attitude towards food. There, there are these kind of things that it's kind of really interesting, like, right now, if you're a woman, you're supposed to occupy as little space as possible and make yourself, you know, literally as thin as you possibly can be mm. like where did that come from and why are we doing this to ourselves and yeah I, th I think having a more conscious exploration about what our food culture is but layer after layer after layer to get to the point of like well, what was the original bit of our culture that actually allowed us to share together and enjoy each other and you know live peacefully together and you know, that kind of thing. I think that's, you know, that would be an interesting place for an exploration about food to get to. And nobody has time because we're all so busy, but we're also being told how to consume. And it's very difficult to peel back those layers, which is partly, you know, Louis, with your work, I remember you saying to me once when you were working with me that you see yourself as being almost like a, I can't remember the exact word you use, but basically a competitor to the advertisers. Like you would yeah. like to see your, your art next to, like a shampoo ad or whatever. And, yeah. it, you know, I do think that it's really important that somehow we disrupt, show holes in the in the current food culture that we yeah, have. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. It's actually, there's a project I want to do. I don't want to disclose it now. Maybe off, off recording, we'll talk about it. But <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want to, like, it's like I was saying, the warren I'm climbing into, it got me into talking about environmental issues within species in decline. But now I'm becoming particularly interested in how do I encourage more people to change their consumption? And so food is obviously a major part of that. And so I definitely, there will be a series of work that will at some point come through that they will be of the farming industry and it will be a way in which to tackle that. Mm. And uh, I think it's like a natural progression to go towards. Mm. And I think that it's not going to stay there forever, but it's nice to switch it and like investigate something different. Mm. Kind of in the same way with what you're doing. Mm. Right telling to, going, going on your journey and telling your story of yeah. what you're learning exactly yeah because that's it is, is that as humans that's one of the biggest powers we have is to learn and as soon as we stop reflecting upon what we've learned that's when we start to digress rather than progress mm. and i think that it's very important to continue to progress yeah so um i don't actually have any knowledge about how you got to who you are like i mean <laughs> We kind of like had the very casual relationship the whole time, haven't we, with mm. like synchronous the earth mm. and like how does one get to being an environmental speaking, acting person that works with someone like synchronous the earth? Like did you I mean you must have gone to university and like had yeah. a degree in something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, um, how do you how does our youth that are there waiting to take it by the reins and like charge down all of this like nonsense that's being rammed down our mm. throat? How do they start that ball rolling? Huge question. 
I mean, I could talk less about me because in some ways everything about me is lucky. So, and I just want to say that from the outset that, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to go to university and to be supported to go. I was lucky enough not to be, even though I think my parents dearly wanted me to go and do something professional. You know, they, they thought that was a good reason to go to university. And I went, nah, I want to do sociology. And, you know, but that I was lucky that I was given the kind of freedom to really kind of just go and learn. I don't think students today, and this is just like, you know, a huge part of what disturbs me about what we're doing as a society. I don't think there's that luxury available to students today. I think tuition fees, the fact that it's around 50% mark of people going to get a degree in the first place. So it devalues, you know, the experience quite a lot or even the outcome. I mean, I, this is depressing, right? But like, I think this is the reality for young people. And I think I was born in a different time. And I just want to be upfront about that and, mm. and acknowledge that I'm really lucky to have been where I, born when I was and, you know, where I was and how I was. And I have been hugely lucky that I have just effectively been able to follow passions and follow this learning, tell my story. And, you know, thankfully, this is going to be the first time I ever don't get paid to do something. Like, you know, I've been paid most of the time that I've worked mm. to do this work. I have to figure out how I can live now that I'm choosing mm. to abandon that particular journey. Right. Most people are not in a position they can say, I'm just not going to be paid. So going back to this question about what can young people do, like if they've got this consciousness. Yeah. And I think a lot of young people do have this consciousness. I think it is a kind of question about, you know, you've talked about reading a lot and thinking a lot. I think it is about opening up to conversations that actually aren't necessarily available in most workplaces, most schools, most universities don't give you the space to have the kind of conversations we're having now. So I think we need to do something as cultural creatives to create the space for people to have the conversations that they wouldn't ordinarily have. So even if they are stacking a supermarket shelf for a living because that's the only way they can make a living, they shouldn't be filled to value that that's what they're doing if they can get on to do other things. But, and this is the but, um, I don't think working for an NGO, I mean, working for an NGO is a privilege and especially one that you believe in. It's a massive privilege, but I don't think that's the only way that people can achieve anything meaningful in their lives. Right. I think people have to work for a living. They have to earn money. If that's how they feel and they don't have an option, I think they should just get on and do that. But it's what they do in their spare time that I think starts to matter. It's also how they can influence their employers, whether they can, how they can. And, you know, I've been inspired by people working in sweatshops around the world actually kind of saying, no, we're not taking these working conditions anymore. Yes, they've been backed up by international... You know, it's, you don't have to be a work slave. You know, you can start to think about how to join the campaigns that currently exist, raise the profile of issues that you really care about. I think social media and stuff like that is hugely important in terms of trying to just connect with things that you don't get to see ordinarily. And if actually I'm meeting more and more people who, because there aren't so many amazing career jobs out there anymore for most people, you know, they are beginning to kind of go, well, how do I make my, make my living? You know, how do, I, how do I use what I have to put food on my plate? And, and I think some of this you know, urban gardening will be some of that for people as well. So I, I think my, my thing to young people is, I think we've created a very defective our current model, our current system, it's just not really in a good place. I think it's really evident to most people is to think about what you want to create and use the time and the resource that you get either through your paycheck or through the support that you get from other people to to think about the world you want to create and be brave. Um, I think that's the one of the most important things is being brave, is 
to have an idea and kind of be a bit obstinate about it. <laughs> go, I'm actually going to do this. Yeah. And I don't really care what happens. And if it doesn't work, then there's an unprecedented amount of options for plan B. Mm. But I'm going to try plan mm. A first and mm. go for it. And I think that a lot of, I hear so many people, especially in the generations above me, going, oh, I wish I'd done that. Or if I had more time, I'd do this. Or like, well, why didn't you do these things? What, why did you have that fear? Mm. Um, I hope that the generation coming up don't have that fear. Yeah, me too, because I do think, I mean, I, I can relate to that. I'm obviously a generation, or maybe two above you, I don't know. But I um, I remember being really aware that I felt like even in my generation, I was one of the lucky ones because I didn't really, it's not like I don't feel fear, but I didn't really kind of go, oh, I can't do that, it's too scary. I was one of the obstinate ones. And yeah, yeah so maybe the message is be obstinate and maybe that's just as simple as that. But I did hear people talking about wanting to jack in jobs that they hated and not doing it. And t 10 years later, they're still saying the same thing. And you're yeah. like, come on, guys, this is your one shot. Yeah, yeah. And I do think, you know, we're not here to be miserable. So we should try and actually create joy. And you see people around the world with very little doing that everywhere. I mean, I haven't, that's not been, my experiences is that people don't need a lot to be happy. They just need the freedom and the space to be able to express themselves and to feed themselves and put roofs over their heads and feel feel secure. Mm. Um, I'm just looking at the time where uh, we're going to need to get into the next track, I think. Okay. Which is yours, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to play another track off the Unit 137 record label. I've kind of been going through the releases each episode. This is a track that I made with Jago. So Hailu and Jago, um, and it's with a guitarist called R. Kent. And the vocalist is somebody who's in our collective called Galax Spiritual. And the track name is Uplifting. This was our fifth release and it came out on seven inch with a big center hole. <laughs> and uh, yeah. It, what um, the, released what, in 2013. What, what is the? Because I mean, like, I would say more of my vinyl have got the big center hole, but occasionally they come with the little one. Yeah. What is the difference? Is there? A There's difference? no difference. It's just in relation to preference. Right. So, it so if cost you want to different. Go, nah. I mean, I'd think it, personally, if I was going to release a seven inch, I think it'd be rude not to have a. Well, it does look hole. more iconic doesn't it it looks yeah and like I like I like the sort of physicality of being able to pick up the centrepiece yeah and, no, I know you know saying. put it on yeah. there and I don't know and there's something special about seven different inches as well like I've had yeah. some which are just pain in the ass to get the track off you're like <laughs> I need to get this off I know when Jago and him think what do you know Mr. Galax spirit rolling says I think thanks for creation oh, oh. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Creation has spoken like the first morning. I have awoken and heard this song. Oh Lord, this beautiful feeling is truly uplifting. Nature's true Shall go. I'm slow for just a second as the shallow feeling grow. It will be gone, uplifting your sorrow. Oh 
So there we go. Choo, 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 choo. <laughs> yeah, so there was um, three other versions on that. One from Dandelion, who's part of The Drop and Hempolix, oh, yeah. um, based in London. Um, Josemel, um, who's based in Jamaica. And Jar Defender, who's based in Trinidad. And they all came with different kind of styles. But yeah. Some amazing voices. Yeah. Really what amazing. year did you cut that? 2013. So was that when you went to Jamaica that? No, no, it was actually um the vocalist in Trinidad, we he recorded it over there. Right. And the vocalist from Jamaica was in England. So oh, okay. we recorded him here. All of the vocals were recorded here. Cool. So yeah, I wanted to talk to you about uh, your century, which in a nutshell was the education programme behind the whole IECN celebration that you guys absolutely smashed and like <laughs> dude i tell you ads we i ate dinner underneath the diplodocus in the natural history museum thanks to laura that <laughs> was like insane in a tux yeah like she even got me wearing like not quite a tux but like i was dressed up smarter than i normally do tanya nice. was like thanking laura for that too <laughs> yeah no. he did look sharp <laughs> I tried my best. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your century about? Like how did you because 
I think what we're particularly interested in is is the fact that it's an education to young people, mm. and we've talked about this continuously through the last hour that mm. they're our future, and it's really important that mm. they understand their position mm. in today's politics as well as tomorrow's politics when mm. they've got more of a voice. But yeah, so tell us a bit about what your, your century was about. Yeah, so it was originally it was it was just conceived as a, a kind of a part of a range of things that we were doing to mark 50 years of the red list which is the IUCN uh, if you like monitoring all kind of threat status against known species i mean it's it's not even managing to do that yet because it's a long story but you know it's it's recording as much as it can about what's happening to species around the world but it's the 50th year it was the 50th year and to market we wanted to do a range of activities so the event that you got all dressed up for was <laughs> you know the kind of big finale um and that was a fundraiser for the red list right. to try and help it to monitor more species but we work with you on this is now which is still one of my favorite ever yeah. campaigns um, the video still sends little shudders down my spine yeah such a good yeah. video it's amazing yeah. yeah so that yeah i mean the whole the whole the whole project in terms of the kind of art in public places, putting that to music, trying to kind of bring it to a wider audience through really good sort of video filmmaking yeah. was one thing. But we also wanted to do a live event for young people. And we decided, although it would be ideal to really kind of work with younger children as well, we decided to just kind of pick the 11 to 18 age group just because I guess you can go a bit further and a bit deeper into exploring concerns that they might have about the world. They feel a bit more sure of their views. And we invited school-aged children from, in, from secondary school up um, around London to participate. I think we had about 150 people. I can't quite remember how many. And there were a range of workshops, and you were doing one of them. Yeah. Different things. I mean, some were... Um, so Louis was doing one about uh, screen printing and seed bombing. But there were, I mean, there were workshops about physical theatre, like actually how do you think about what your message is and then perform it. There were some that were about, you know, becoming an activist by activists. There was one about social enterprise by somebody who's a social entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, so social enterprise being, you know, somebody who set up a business that actually the proceeds both put food on his plate, but also fund his charitable activity, which is to deal with kids that are on the margins of schools you know they're on i guess schools death row yeah and i think we're suffering that a little bit in this borough like yeah lewisham like yeah. a lot of schools have been shut down yeah and uh, there's one across our road that they've tried to shut down continuously oh, really and it manages to stay open and wow hopefully it still survives but yeah and is this like like a funding or uh, yeah I think so. performance yeah stuff i think yeah yeah so i think that you know there's a kind of question about like, how do you get young people to basically have space to ask themselves questions, but also pick up tools, for yeah. want of a better word, but, you know, tools that can really kind of help them to make conscious choices. So lots of different workshops. I think in total, there were probably about 15 workshops running. You had spoken word and drumming had, as well, didn't you? We had, yeah, yeah I mean, that, that kind of bound the whole thing together. So we began and ended on drumming, and the, but there was somebody doing spoken word and he'd gone around the whole thing, just like picking up what was happening. And Yeah, he was really good. He was amazing. He was young as well. He was amazing. He was about 17 yeah. himself at the time. I think I've seen him cropping up in a few things since as yeah. well. So no, like, he he's seems doing to be really doing well. pretty well. Yeah, and it was brought together by somebody who's a, an amazing facilitator. So I can't claim credit for how well it actually worked as an event. 
He's an incredible facilitator, has really kind of thought about how to host and bring people in and create energy around an event. So the, it, was, it wasn't anything like anything I've ever been to before in terms of a workshop event. But like I say, I'm not blowing my own trumpet when I say that. It was, it was about Jamie Colston, the guy who organised it. Yeah. But all the people, so Louis included, who ran workshops, you know, they, they also, I mean, you, you enjoyed yourself, but I think a lot of people kind of felt they were getting a lot out of the exchanges that were happening between themselves and the young people. And that the young people themselves were on a journey through the event. And I guess one of the things that made me really happy about the event was just seeing how much amazing energy was kind of going on. So, you know, kids came in like children do to a big venue, a bit sort of head down <coughs> yeah. and a bit shy and a bit self-effacing and not really sure of their place but by the end it was a riot and yeah. it just felt really amazing and I'd love to think that some of the people that came are now thinking about their passion and their commitment and whatever to change I do know I mean one of the discussions I had with one of the participants was really eye-opening because she kind of said you know when I look out at the world I feel such pain at the kind of like racism and sexism and stuff like that that's still going on when I see that I really want to change it but I've got to make a living so this is like you know one of the mm. things that actually has been really influential on in me and what I think now right. which is why I couldn't really kind of go oh you can anybody can go and work for an NGO and it's all fine actually you know that's the start choice that everybody feels that they have to make right. and for me, I think the the question is how. Th that's why I feel that us creating spaces is actually one of the most important things that we can do, so that young people can find their voice and actually think. If I do end up working in some job for somebody else, is there still stuff that I can do either within or outside of that job? But if I don't, if I do do something for myself like you two have done, like I'm beginning to do, mm. like if, I, if I am going to follow my dreams, then. Who's the, who are the people around me who I can also learn from and yeah. gain confidence through and I think your century was really about that about young people what I really wanted was young people to go I can be a voice for my generation but obviously that's like a huge huge ask of like 150 150 yeah but I think that kids. that's a seed that you planted and then you got to be as an adult you got to be patient because yeah. you're yeah, yeah. wanting that because you've seen the desperation and you want to see them going okay I get it and boom Whereas it doesn't work like that. You planted a seed. That, yeah. And yeah. I can definitely say that as, I mean, obviously I was doing a workshop there, but from watching the, the, the way in which that thing ended, and it was like pretty momentous the way it ended, I felt insanely optimistic. Mm. I was like, yes, young people will change things. Mm. And then I keep seeing that come up again and again mm. and again. And mm. I think that there is power in the youth. Mm. I think that, they they do have that opportunity, and and I think that it's probably our generation, Adam, that's influencing them to have that passion, mm. and it's the generations like your generation, Laura, that's influenced us to go. Actually, nothing's happened for forty years. Mm. We've been talking for forty years about progress, uh, progress that's yeah. not doing yeah. anything. So yeah. we're going to do something about yeah. it, um, and then I think that it will speed up a lot more um, with with the next generation, or at least I hope. But I do think that the, yeah, I agree with you that you definitely don't drop a seed and expect instant plant life. Well, but it'd be great the, if we could. But at the same, <laughs> but at the same time, I do think um, 
I mean, it would be a mistake. For definitely, it was one of the things that I felt most inspired by doing at the time that I was at Synchronicity Earth. You know, there are a few, but working with you was definitely also up there in the in the top ones. But yeah, I feel I feel like it would be a mistake for people who are passionate about social change to not think about how to really creatively inv involve young people. Yeah. So I think the I think the relationship has to change fundamentally between my generation, your generation, any generation and those that call themselves young right now right. in terms of, you know, bringing them in and getting them feeling that they are legitimate voices and actors. And I just don't think they're being afforded that opportunity by anybody else. And so I think the biggest, the biggest step up we can do is to kind of actually say, no, we're going to give you the tools to run it. You're, you know, you're the ones, you know, you can do this now. Yeah. Um, so things, you know, I think there's a vital role to play in communities of things like youth groups and other kinds of informal networks that, formal and informal networks that exist that really empower young people to really kind of think about how to do that now. So that might be a place I'd do a bit more in. Yeah. yeah. So marching on through this, uh, our time here. So let's get into the last track, which is, have you heard of Prince Buster? No. <laughs> Undoubtedly, he would have been being played um, out of that Manchester house okay. without any shadow of doubt. Ads and I were having a discussion about Prince Buster before you got here. A lot of what he's sung is a bit suggestive and not really something that we're particularly fond of. But this track, he did the Young, Gifted and Black remix. Ah. So we thought we when, would... When was it released, this one? You know what? There's so much that's been scratched off this record. It's hard to tell. But yeah. Is this one from your collection? No, this one I got in as well. Okay. Yeah. It's nice to buy into something that I may not have bought in in the first place. That's great. I think so that the cool. whole thing of exchanges is just one of those things. It's kind of like how yeah. how to broaden. Yeah, rec I mean, recommendation. Yeah. You know, it's just one of the best ways of learning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we're going to finish on this record. So, yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Really nice speaking to you. Yeah, no, thanks for coming through, Laura. Yeah, it's yeah. great to meet you. Um, yeah, so to everyone who's listening, thanks for listening and until next time.
can all be very proud to say To be young, gifted and black Yeah.